Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. last couple of weeks we've spent some time looking into the Psalms and uh, a couple of weeks ago I opened Psalm 25 and last week Stephen was talking out of Psalm 16 and today I was thinking about which Psalm it was going to be that I was going to share with people and what I actually realised was that I would really like to talk about the Psalmist rather than talk about one of the Psalms in particular this morning. You know, when, when we think about the Psalms and who wrote the Psalms, we think of David. David, absolutely. David didn't write all the Psalms. He wrote about half of them. But whenever we think about who wrote the Psalms, David is the first name that comes to mind. And um, so my starting point this morning is to be thinking about the Psalmist himself. Think about David. Think about who he was. Think about a title that God gave to him and what that means for us in our day, in our situation in this town. Much is written in our Bibles about David. There's more written in the Old Testament about David than any other character. There are 66 chapters talking about David in the Old Testament. The New Testament mentions David 59 times. As far as Bible characters go, David is pretty important. We can read about David's life in 1 and 2 Samuel, uh, one Kings, one Chronicles, and uh, lots about what went on in his mind when we opened the Psalms. David wrote something like 73 of the Psalms for definite, and probably some of the others as well. David is described in the Bible as being a man after God's own heart. Have you heard that phrase? Yeah. A man after God's own heart. What does this mean? What does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? What characteristics can we see in David when we look in the scripture that would help us to answer that question? Here's another question. Do you think we are ever likely to encounter somebody who could be described that way as a man after God's own heart? Do you think that's possible? Or do you think that's a special thing just for David because he's such an important Bible character? There's a question. Could it be that you and I could be men and women who are after God's own heart? Yes. I believe it could be. I believe it could be. I believe that being a man after God's own heart means to live in harmony with our God. Yes. What's important to him is important to me. Yes. What burdens him burdens you. When he says, go this way, you go that way. When he says, stop doing that, and you stop doing that. When he says, that's wrong, and I want you to change that, then you make a change because you have a heart for God, yeah. not because it's the easy thing to do. Yeah. What's God looking for? I believe he's looking for men and for women who, whose hearts are his completely yeah. in every way. That means that when you mess up and do something wrong, you, you admit it. 
and come to terms with it. You long to please him in your actions. You care deeply about the motivation behind your actions. You see, God is not looking for magnificent specimens of humanity. Perfect people. But he's looking for people who are deeply spiritual. People who are genuinely humble. People who would claim to be his servants and full of integrity. And when we describe people as a man after God's own heart, we, we could see that as being really, really sexist. And what about the women? But I want to actually speak this morning to all of us, but particularly to the men. I really want to encourage us as men to be men who are after God's own heart. And ladies, don't feel that I'm missing you out or leaving you out in any way. I would put to you that a man after God's own heart is the most attractive kind of man there is. I believe that. When we are when we're growing up, when we're deciding who to get married to, there are all sorts of things that you and I might do to make us more attractive. You know, we, we might, might gel our hair, might go and buy some skinny jeans. <laughs> we might not go and buy some skinny jeans. <laughs> but being a man after God's own heart, I want to tell you this, it makes you more attractive than any other man. Those of us who are not married today, when you start to think about somebody you are looking to as a life partner, if you're a man, be a man who is after God's own heart first and foremost. If you're a lady, look for a man who first and foremost is after God's own heart. If he looks good in skinny jeans, that's a bonus. But look for a man who is after God's own heart. He will do you good. He will do you good. What do you think the impact on our town would be if there was a group of men, group of men who are living out our lives saying what's important to God is important to us? As a body of believers, you know, we believe that we're here for purpose, don't we, in this town? We're not just here on Sunday mornings as some kind of Social gathering, although it's great to see each other, isn't it? Yeah, come on, you, come on, you can agree to that. It's, it's great to see each other, isn't it? Yeah. Thank you. But um, we want to be careful that we rule ourselves in to God's purposes and don't take the first opportunity to count ourselves out of God's purposes. I think as we look at David this morning, I want to encourage us not to count ourselves out because we're too old or too young, or our lives are too busy, or because we've got children and we'll think about being a man after God's own heart when they're teenagers or in their 20s, when they're 30s, or whenever the point is that your responsibility finishes. It's not in your teens, just to, just to chuck that one out there. We can, we can confidently count ourselves in to God's purposes. We believe, as a body of believers, in in this place, that we're here, here to carry the name of Jesus to Market Harbour and beyond. And we know that as we do that, we're going to be helped by the Holy Spirit who will give us everything we need. 
we can be a group of men and women, but a group of men in this town who are confidently counting ourselves in to choose to be men after God's own heart. So we're going to open our Bibles in, uh, in just a second. Before I do that, I'd really like to pray. I think it would be good to ask the Holy Spirit to, um, to help us understand what's before us today in a way which is going to shake us up. Yeah? Why don't we get to our feet and do that? Father, we say we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that we can read about this man of God, David. Thank you that your word is living and active and therefore there are things that we can learn from David today in his life that are going to impact us deeply. We want to ask Holy Spirit that you guide us into all truth as we open the word today. And we know that you will do that. We give you our thanks in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's take our seats again. So here is the, the biblical, sorry, the background to the biblical account of David in Scripture. We start to read about David in the book of Samuel. And uh, what preceded uh, David becoming famous was the fact that the children of Israel had lived for a long time under a system of judges ruling over the nation. But the um, nations around them were, were attacking Israel. They felt um, persecuted, they felt under pressure, and they thought what would really solve the whole deal would be if they had a king that they could rally behind, a king who would lead them into battle and lead them victorious, because after all, they were the people of God. And so the children of Israel came to Samuel, the, the prophet and also the judge in the land at the time, and said, we want you to give us a king. And uh, Samuel prayed to God about this, and God said, but whilst it, wasn't, whilst it wasn't his choice that they should have a king at that time, he said, because the people didn't choose him as their king, that he would give the people what they wanted. And so it was that a man named Saul became the king in Israel. And we read about Saul at the time, and he was, uh, he was almost plucked out of obscurity and became became the king of Israel and was king over Israel for a, a, a number of years. Through Samuel, God spoke to Saul about how it was that he was to lead God's people. But Saul was not completely obedient to God and he started to make choices based on his own wisdom and not according to God's instruction. So let's read together from 1 Samuel 13. And actually, if you turn to 1 Samuel, because we'll skip through a few pages of this uh, this morning and read a few sections. 1 Samuel 13, and we're going to read uh, verses 13 and 14. Because this is what happened to Saul after he had um, relied on his own wisdom. Verse 13, how foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. 
And this is the first reference in the Bible to David, although it's not actually mentioned by name. But it's the first reference to a man after God's own heart. And you know, in this, in this um, text, it's very much talking about obedience. So Samuel the prophet is saying to Saul, you've not done that. You've not done the thing that God asked you to. And God has sought out somebody different. In the book of Acts, we find Paul preaching about Jesus in Antioch. And he starts with a short account of God's chosen people. In fact, one of the, one of the great places to read for a really short history of the Old Testament is look in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 13, also Acts chapter 7. You've got uh, Paul and before that Stephen giving a real potted account of the journey of the children of Israel uh, right back to the Exodus up to the present day. So Paul is explaining um, to uh, the, the church in Antioch at the time what had happened in the past. He said, after that, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for 40 years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So you can see in the um, text that we read in 1 Samuel, he's talking about Saul as a man who is not obedient. And what we read about David uh, when Paul is looking back in Acts, he's saying, but God found somebody who was going to be obedient, who was going to do what God wanted him to do. And therefore we can say that to be men after God's own heart, then obedience has got to be the first key. One of the things to notice from that Acts reference is that God sought out David. Did you know God sought David even before David knew he was being looked for? God saw David in a place of obscurity. At the time God saw David, David would have been 16 or 17. He wasn't very old. He saw him doing a very lowly kind of job. David's job in the family was to look after the animals. He, he would be in the fields and looking after the sheep and the goats. David was the youngest of, of eight brothers. He was not um, placed in the prime position for some grand ministry and anointing. But God saw him and God found him. He was considered too young and uh, too unimportant to be considered by his own family. Let's read together from 1 Samuel chapter 16. We read a little, quite a big chunk at the moment because it talks about how our first mention of David is found. And it carries on this, uh, this account of how Samuel, having been told that Saul is no longer to be king, that Samuel must go and anoint God's new person for that role. So 1 Samuel 16, turn a couple more pages, and starting at verse 1, it says this, Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, 
for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. But Samuel said, How can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you've come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shamir, but Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel, but Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? Though he's still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the field watching the sheep and the goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. So even in his own family, even when a visiting prophet came to town, David was not considered important enough to be invited. But God was watching. God is still watching. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, it says this, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I believe God still does that today. Now God is unchanging, isn't he? He searches the whole earth looking for those whose hearts are fully committed to him. David was least important, but he wasn't bitter. David didn't have a very good job, had a lowly job, but he worked hard. He was really diligent. It reminds us of the parable that Jesus told about a master who went away and entrusted some, some of his wealth to his servants. And he commended two of those servants because they'd done a good job. They had invested the money that the master had left and made a decent return on it. And in that parable Jesus told, the commendation is this, it's well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. We can see that happening in David's life, can't we? David was diligent doing the small and lowly work that he'd been given. Maybe that's true for some of us this morning. 
Maybe we are spending our time doing things which the world would see as being unimportant, which the world would see as being fairly menial and lowly. Perhaps there's somebody that you're serving, yeah, just really quietly, somebody you're getting alongside. Maybe there's a neighbour you are caring for. God sees. God is searching the whole earth for hearts that are fully committed to him. So obedience is our first key to being a man after God's own heart. Here's the second key. David was full of the Spirit. 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Back in Old Testament times, the Spirit wasn't given to all believers. We read about the Holy Spirit coming upon believers for a specific purpose and specific reason. It's not until the day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, after Jesus has, has died, been raised from death, and has been re- um, ascended to heaven, that the Holy Spirit is sent, and the, the prophecy of Joel comes true, that all believers will know what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But for David, in pre-Jesus times, the Holy Spirit came upon David powerfully from that day on. See, David didn't become the king immediately. In fact, he was not made king um, for, for many years to come. But he was anointed to be the king at that moment. In many ways, it seemed as if little had changed for David. He was still... He was still living at home. He was still doing some of the menial work. But he now had a promise on his life that God had seen him and God had called him. David started to see things in the spirit. I believe that from later things we read and we'll look at in a minute. I believe that the, um, the presence of the Holy Spirit in David's life changed his character and change the things that he saw and the way that he saw them. You see, when people are full of the Holy Spirit, the change should be outward as well as inward. Later in 1 Samuel 16, we read that when King Saul was looking for an accomplished musician to play for him um, and calm him whenever he was tormented by a, a troubling spirit, David was recommended to him just by sheer chance. David said, where can I find a musician who can come and play the harp for me? And so Saul's servant said to him, well, we know just the guy, one of David's sons, this is verse 18, one of David's sons from Bethlehem. He's a talented harp player. Not only that, he's a brave warrior. He's a man of war. He has good judgment. He's also a fine-looking young man. And the Lord is with him. As if the first five weren't good enough. The trumpet all, the Lord is with him. We must be careful the way we think about David. It's very easy to think about David as being the guy sitting in the corner at parties with his harp. You know, really timid and gentle, but that's not the way that the Bible describes David. He describes him as being a, a, a man of war, a man who is a brave warrior. And, uh, and there are accounts in Scripture, aren't there, about how, how David, in looking after his father's animals would have to fight for them and, and defend them. And um, yeah, it was a big physical battle. David wasn't some kind of wuss. 
um, you know, a softy musician. David was an was a all-round guy. So he's not recognised for his musicianship alone, but rather the presence of the Lord with him. I just wonder, is that our experience? I wonder whether we are people who are recognised because people see something in us. They might not even be able to describe what it is, but it's the presence of the Lord. I wonder whether you have people say to you, you're so peaceful. Don't know what it is about you. You never get wound up. I wonder if people say to you, you're always looking after us. You're really hospitable. You're really loving. They might not put it down to the presence of God within us. But I believe that when the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, there will be something that people see and experience on the outside. So David, in 1 Samuel 16, he ministers to Saul. David, a man full of the Holy Spirit, going about the job that he's been assigned to and seeing Saul's tormenting spirit leave him each time he was in the presence of the man of God. So let's fast forward again, next chapter, 1 Samuel 17, and we find David's brothers here as part of Saul's army, and they're fighting the Philistines, and they're on the front line uh, preparing for battle. And David, still a young man, is considered to be uh, yeah, not a full-time soldier yet. In fact, he's still helping out his dad look after the animals and running errands between Jesse's house in Bethlehem and the front line. And one day Jesse sends him out. He says, I'd like you to go to the front line and see your brothers. I want to find out how they're doing. And he took some supplies and he, he went up just to see what was going on and uh, to bring a report back to his father. And we know this story well because this is the account of David when he met Goliath, the Philistine giant. So let's read 1 Samuel 17, verses 20. To 26, 1 Samuel 17, starting at verse 20. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. David asked the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Then listen to what he says. Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Who is he that he can defy the armies of the living God? David saw something. I believe David saw something in the spirit. David didn't see a Philistine giant. He rather saw something that wasn't right. He saw an enemy coming against 
God's chosen people. And his declaration is, that's not right. Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? That's not right. We can do just that. We can bring our declaration of that's not right to lots of situations we see around us. David's that's not right drove him to action. Action which at the time was considered enormous foolishness. But which with God's help resulted in a great deliverance. What of our that's not right? When we work with people maybe who do not know Jesus, who do not have a relationship with God, and who who will ultimately perish because they do not repent and turn to God through and because of Jesus. That's not right. God loves those people. What of the people we see in ill health, living with addictions to drugs or to food, or living a deviant lifestyle? That's not right. People close to, to hand to us who are not living with dignity. That's not right. People living with mental illness. That's not right. People living with depression. That's not right. Maybe even people living out a religious lifestyle. Going through motions of, of habit and tradition and routine without having any of the joy of sins forgiven. Without knowing anything of the power of life in the Holy Spirit. That's not right. David's response to his not, that's not right, was action. He took some action, he did something about it. We need to know that when God shows us something in our spirit that makes us go, that's not right, he will equip us for action. I believe that. So verse 45, David replies to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Listen to this. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. (laughs) David was pretty confident in what God was going to do. We know what happened next, don't we? And that David did in fact kill Goliath, and that God gave the Israelites a great victory over the Philistines. men after God's own heart, men filled with the Holy Spirit. Have you ever noticed about men who are filled with the Holy Spirit are not quite normal? (laughs) Certainly not in the way that the world would describe normality. In fact, when Paul writes um, his letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says says this, don't copy the behaviour and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Men who are full of the Holy Spirit, men who are seeing things in the Spirit, will not always come across as being completely normal in the way the the world describes normality. And we're encouraged not to be normal in the way the world describes normality. Let's learn to change the way we think. 
let's learn to respond to the things that the Spirit shows us. Finally, I want us to recognise David as being a man who was unafraid to worship extravagantly. Always ready to ensure that the name of God was honoured and revered. The phrase, for the honour of your name, is used an awful lot in David's Psalms. As a worshipper, David would repeat himself a lot. Have you ever read through the book of Psalms? And you're reading one psalm, you think, oh, I thought that was in a different psalm. And you turn it back, oh, it is. <laughs> because, because David is singing songs to his God who is unchanging. David repeats himself a lot. It's fine to repeat ourselves a lot when we worship. Let's not be afraid to be extravagant in the words we use the noise we make, we will repeat ourselves a lot. When Isaiah saw his vision of the angels in heaven gathering around the throne of God, and they're shouting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they were calling backwards and forwards. In heaven, there's a lot of repetition in worship. The charismatic church in England or anywhere else hasn't invented repetition in worship. It's going on in the heavenlies all the time. And I believe that's a good, a good thing for us to be able to continually be able to repeat God's goodness and, and reflect that back to him in our worship of him. David was a man who always had a song in his heart. Ready to burst forth. David had a song in his heart when he was really happy. But he also had a song in his heart when he was distraught. He had a song in his heart when he was full of thanks, but he had a song in his heart when he was full of questions. Whatever emotion David found himself in, it seemed to burst forth in, in, in a song, in, um, in direction towards the God he knew to be unchanging. Let's be people who always have a song in our heart. Sometimes we really need to make a choice to do that. Don't you know that? I do. Sometimes circumstances can be, oh, so deflating. And oh, I might just sit here and stew about it for a little while. And that can be the natural thing to do. But let's choose to have a song in our hearts. Let, let's choose to say, okay. God, I don't much like what I'm seeing around about me right now, but I'm going to praise you. I'm going to thank you because you are my provider. I'm going to thank you because I know that I can come to you for safety and security. I know that whatever trouble I have right now is it's fleeting compared to the joy that's to be found in you. But start. Start bringing your song to the Lord. Ephesians chapter 5, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the result, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks to, for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's be people quick to let the song in our heart overflow. 
There's a really famous example, isn't it, that we know of David's extravagant worship, his abandonment in worship. And this is when the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant is being brought back to Jerusalem. And the Ark of the Covenant had, had, had been nicked by the Philistines at, at some point, who had um, not revered everything that it meant to the children of Israel. But they, they, felt, they found that when they were hanging on to this object, that so many bad things were happening to them, that they gave it back to the children of Israel, but it never quite made it back, way back to Jerusalem. And, and David, who was king at the time, said, well, this is not right. We would like the Ark of the Covenant to come back to Jerusalem. And so he, he made a plan for that to happen. And um, quite a few things happened in between him making the plan and bringing it back. But this is what happened in 2 Samuel chapter 6. If you want to flick there and we'll look at verse 12. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David, that's Jerusalem, with a great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of God had gone six steps. Just get this. One, two, three, four, five, six. That's how far they'd got on the initial homeward journey. It says that David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. (laughs) Extravagant worship. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. Verse 20, when David returned home to bless his own family, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. David retorted to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, I'm willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think that I am distinguished. So there's David, dressed not not in his kingly splendour of the time. Some translations say he's dressed in... uh, uh, the, the, the dress of the priest. Some say it was just a basic linen, linen ephod. So, dancing in his underwear. But David was so full of thanks to God that he danced before the Lord because of God's goodness. We can be people who know what it is to be extravagant worshippers. We can be people who know what it is to say, I'm going to bring my worship to you, God, and I'm not really bothered about what other people think in this moment. We line up in neat little rows, don't we, on a Sunday morning? And in many ways we have to line up in neat little rows because we need to get people in in the building. But when you read the Psalms of David and and other people too, it talks about um, a posture that we have in worship. 
coming to God, dancing before him, kneeling before him, lying before him, clapping our hands, raising our hands. Listen to Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully. Shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving, singing psalms of praise to him. For the Lord is a great God. He's the king above all gods. He holds his hands in the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. The sea belongs to him, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land too. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. All these ways, just in those few verses, that David says, come before God. Let's shout to him. Let's kneel before him. Let's just bring everything that's within us to God without fear of what the person next door might be thinking or doing. So we thought about these four things this morning. What it is to be a man after God's own heart. A man who's obedient. A man who's filled with the Spirit. A man who's been found by God. A man who's an extravagant worshipper. I believe that we can aspire to be men today, described as being men after God's own heart. I don't believe that King David is the only person that could ever be described in that way. But we need to choose to do that. Men, we need to choose to be men after God's own heart. And hear this, when we choose to do that, we're not showing off. I just want to talk about the things that sometimes will be barriers to us. Uh, yeah, really, just, just in the way our, our minds think. We're not showing off. We're not making some claim to be a super Christian so that other people can watch us. It's not that at all. We're not comparing ourselves to King David. or to Paul, or to any other follower of Jesus, dead or alive. We're not counting ourselves out because of our circumstances. Perhaps our job's busy, or our children are small. Perhaps our children aren't small, and we feel we're a little bit old, we've kind of missed the boat now. None of that. But we can choose to line ourselves up with God's heart for us, and the world around us. If I'm a man choosing to be a man after God's own heart and people say to me, so you're saying you're like David. I'm saying I'm like me. I see lots of guys in here this morning. see a lot of men here this morning. Men, this is a word to you. <laughs> Did you know in the book of Samuel, in, uh, in 2 Samuel, it talks about David's mighty men. It talks about the guys who are with David. 
There were 37 of them in total. And there's a whole chapter in 2 Samuel that talks about their exploits, their daring deeds. We can be men after God's own heart together. You know that, don't you? Men who are obedient. Men knowing we've been sought and found by God, full of the Holy Spirit, eager to see the name of God honoured in our day. We need to get rid of comparison. We need to get rid of fear. We need to get rid of lethargy. We need to come to God and ask him to release fullness of Holy Spirit life. I referred a couple of weeks ago to um, something that David had shared with the 20s and 30s group just before Bible Week, talking whether our followership of Jesus is our passion or our hobby. Whether our followership of Jesus is, is central or peripheral to our lives. If you are a follower of Jesus, that is your calling. Our followership of Jesus is our passion. Absolutely central to our lives. I believe this is the moment for making some decisions. I believe among the men here this morning, and those of our guys who aren't here, will be listening to the podcast of this at some point. There are some decisions to be made. Whether we are men who are going to choose to stand up and be counted as being men after God's own heart. We're going to sing in in just a minute. But I think it will be good for us to respond. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.